Wow. Uh, welcome to Ash Wednesday. Uh, if you are familiar with it, uh, you know what you're in for. If not, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a heads up where we're going tonight. Uh, uh, Lent, uh, another word for spring, is a 40-day season, not including the Sundays. So Sundays in the season of Lent are counted as resurrection days. So if you, if you do the number, you'll say, well, gee, it's, it's like 46 or 47 days, not 40, but it's 40 days, including then adding on to the uh, Sundays, uh, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Uh, if you were in New Orleans last night at Mardi Gras, anybody who was at uh, Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday, uh, the crazy tradition of just going nuts and then uh, starting Lent. Well, Ash Wednesday... Uh, as a way of as a gateway and the doorway into Lent, uh, reminds us of our mortal brokenness. Uh, not as if we need much of a reminder, right? Every day reminds you in some way of your brokenness, your mortality. But in an official way, in a communal way, uh, that's what we pause to simply acknowledge during uh, Lent. And Ash Wednesday then uh, reminds us of God's eternal mercy and grace in the midst of our mortal brokenness. Uh, you've heard the phrase from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, a reminder that we are not the captains of our own ship. We're not the masters of our own destiny. Uh, we are people made in the image of God who have been separated from him by sin. And the resulting brokenness of that uh, puts us all in this tailspin of trying to figure out how to look good and do good. And it's a very frustrating situation to realize just when you think you're looking good and doing good, you realize you're not looking that great and you're not doing that great. Uh, which can be very frustrating, obviously. So what are we doing during Ash Wednesday? Uh, we're not coming in and doing self-abasement, though that's not a bad idea. The idea of saying, I'm not as awesome as I think I am. But what we're really doing is opening our hearts and our minds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is actually a good season. It's not a, it's not a punitive season. Ash Wednesday isn't the beginning of 40 days of punishment. Uh, it's 40 days of penance, of turning toward God, of practicing some things that would allow us to connect with God perhaps in a fresh way. And so penance uh, it sounds like a punitive word. You're being punished. What penance is, is simply training in righteousness. Penance is, is, is habituating yourself to new ways of being you. And so penance uh, in the midst of, of, of Lent is actually a very positive move. It's a really positive move. Uh, if you're in London and you're an American, uh, you've, you've come close to death every time you've stepped off a curb. And some Brit has said, no, not yet, because we're looking to our left. We should be looking to our right. And so Americans start to step off, and some Brit will say, either say something or, or grab your, your elbow gently and say, no, no, not yet. You're about to be taken out. Uh, that's an act of penance. Uh, you stepping back and saying, 
Thank you so much. Uh, you're, you're, right, you're writing something that could have been really wrong. So the purpose of Ash Wednesday, one, to reflect on our mortality and our need for Jesus. Uh, and in the midst of that, a reflection, we're repenting of our sin. We're turning back toward him. Repenting is just a metanoia, turning around. Secondly, it's committing to renewal and refreshment of our faith by the Holy Spirit working in us. What will you do differently? Giving up broccoli is not a big, heavy load to uh, bear. Uh, don't give up broccoli. Maybe give up a TV show and watch, uh, and watch Chosen <laughs> or, or read a chapter of Scripture. Uh, we have a really neat resource here that, that Janet Griffin put together for us, uh, written by a guy named Matt Bennett. Uh, he's part of Christian Union. Uh, this is a really wonderful ministry sort of like an university or campus crusade uh, with Ivy League schools. Uh, fantastic. And I think Stanford is the one on the West Coast that they're involved in. Uh, but they've said, you know, what if we, we reach this unique environment, this unique ecosystem? And so they come up with all kinds of resources. And one of them is this fantastic uh, five-lesson course. It could be five lessons but, but in five days, but really it'll take you the 40 days of Lent to go through this. Uh, and it's called Seeking God Lifestyle. It's fantastic. This is a hard copy, but you have a, a I think a v- this QR code will allow you to get that on your phone or your device. So we're encouraging everybody to get it on your phone or your device so it's, it's portable, it's with you. Uh, if you uh, want a hard copy, we have some hard copies. Janet's prepared these. They'll be uh, outside in the, in the Welcome Center. So committing to renewal and refreshment of our faith. And then finally, it's about remembering with confidence and gratitude the work of Christ. It's so easy for us to uh, get stale uh, by the work of Christ. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. And we're not trying to be disrespectful. We've just become inured to the truth we've heard a lot of times. Uh, are any of you familiar with Asbury, the college Asbury? All right. Have you heard about what's happening at Asbury College in the last several weeks? Whether it's a full-blown revival, renewal, we don't know. But it certainly is a, a season of, of renewal on that campus. And it's attracted about 50,000 people who have crowded into the town, much to the chagrin of the people at the school and in the town. And as of the last few days, they've moved it off uh, from the auditorium where they hold chapel to another site so that it can continue but not be disrupted. The students are going into midterms. What's interesting about that is that it's, it's simply an example of how a bunch of students, a bunch of Gen Zers, are being reminded in a fresh and profoundly provocative way that they can't take their faith seriously. This is a Christian school. This is a school that about every 15 or 20 years has something like this happen. This sort of a spontaneous response to God that nobody planned on. It happened at Asbury because at the end of uh, a chapel service, some people were lingering, and one kid just started confessing his sins, which caused everybody to be prompted to say, I have some sins to confess. And they continued worshiping the Lord. And this is a highly documented thing historically. J. Edwin Orr has documented these renewals and awakenings, moved and prompted by the Holy Spirit. And it allows us to rekindle and reconnect with uh, a powerful movement of God. Uh, I was talking to a man who, um, when I first came to La Jolla, and he's a very high-profile guy, very successful guy, very gifted, internationally known in what he does. And I said, hey, um, tell me your story. And he said, well, you know, I, my, my family comes from Wales. I said, I was born in Wales. And I, I, I said, well, how did you end up here? He said, well, 
my grandfather uh, became a Christian, and I'm thinking of the guy's age, and I said, in the 1905 revival. He said, well, yeah, the 1905 revival. He became a pastor. And then my my father became a pastor, became a scholar, and I I knew of the guy. I didn't know it was connected to him, and he was in a very prestigious Christian think tank, which it's like they don't think about Jesus anymore. They think about their thoughts. And now this guy is a phenomenal person who has no interest in Christ whatsoever. What had happened over that three-generation period, somebody was paying close attention to what the Holy Spirit was doing, somebody not so much, and somebody didn't even have enough information to even know what he should be paying attention to. You see where this goes? And so Ash Wednesday and Lent becomes a really important moment to stop and pause and say, what does my faith mean to me? I'm not trying to work up a bunch of feelings I'm not feeling. I'm trying to focus on the meaning inherent in my faith. So during Lent, we reflect on God's word, we pray, we fast. You can give up a meal, uh, give up you know, a day to fasting, a 24-hour period. Uh, you could fast for 40 days uh, and, and find some way to get some basic sustenance so you can function, but you might want to fast for 40 days. It's about giving to the poor. It's about taking stock of our life. At the end of this service, if you want to contribute to our benevolence fund as you walk out, uh, there'll be a basket. You can leave some money uh, for the benevolence fund. We, we have, apart from our budget, money that people contribute to, and we, we find ways to distribute that to people who are in pressing, desperate need. And so the ashes that we'll receive at the end of the night, Michael talk more about that as we uh, get to the close of the service, but you'll receive the opp- you have the opportunity to receive some ashes, either on your forehead, and you'll hear words like, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ. Uh, or you can have them on your hand where you can see them. And so the ashes remind us again of our mortality and our need for Christ and our, uh, and our desperate need for his sacrifice on our behalf. And so the goal isn't feeling good or bad. It's clearing the clutter away so that we can focus on the Lord. We all need that. We all need that. And the more that we can uh, talk about that, and reflect on that together, the more likely it is that we won't drift off uh, and, and, and get lost again. So tonight, in the time that we have, we'll give you some time during this service, several minutes, it'll feel like a long time, but it won't be a long time, uh, but to simply reflect on who you are in Christ and where you are at this point in your life with him. Maybe get in touch with some things, and, and there'll be some music playing, and, and it'll give you enough time to get bored. And you go, I don't know what to think. And then that's when you're saying, Lord, just reveal what I might need to be turning over to you or recognizing that you're doing in me or, or, or acknowledge something that I'm, I'm resisting or afraid of or I'm anxious about. I'm holding back from you on. And so it might provoke some sorrow. It might provoke some tears. It might make you feel really uncomfortable, and sometimes then when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we're really uncomfortable. And as we stay with that, we become comforted, right? Because sometimes the confrontation of the Holy Spirit is, is the first step in being com- com- you know, comforted by the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's where we're going. Uh, we'll, hear, we'll, hear, we'll hear some scripture, we'll hear some music. We'll have a chance to do some formalization of confessing together uh, and uh, uh, interacting around that because this is a night and a season of confession. And again, if, if you think of confession as being something that is humiliating, you got to let go of that. Confessing is humbling 
but not humiliating. Uh, it's powerful to think that we uh, have the opportunity to unburden ourselves before the Lord. So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. As we come into your presence, to simply be in your presence together, supported by the music, uh, by prayer, uh, by Holy Communion, uh, by the imposition of ashes, by the words spoken and sung, but most of all, uh, to be in the presence of you and opening ourselves to your Holy Spirit in a new and fresh way. And as King David said, Lord, restore the joy to my salvation. And that's what we pray for each one here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness.
to rescue us from sin and death and to lead us into fulfillment of life. We confess our need for your grace and for the healing power of your mercy and forgiveness. We pray for wisdom, guidance, humility, and honesty in discerning your voice. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us and reveal your holy presence within us. Show us where we have gotten off track through distraction or disobedience. Renew us, revive us, and restore the joy of our salvation. In your holy name we pray.
have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgments against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. just read, guide us all.
Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven and you are free by the authority and grace of Jesus our Lord and Savior.
shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be forever mine you are forever mine thank you Jeremiah 29 13 you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is calling out to us. Maybe you already believe that and know that, but let me just say it again. God is calling out to us. And it's not an echo we hear from the long distant past. He's calling out right now. He's calling us, calling out to us, speaking into us right now, inviting us to present our imperfect selves to him who is perfect in every way. It's shocking, isn't it, that God invites us to bring our imperfect selves into his perfect presence in a way that won't vaporize us, discourage us, humiliate us, rebuke us, but rather welcomes us. And there's no darkness in him. Darkness is isolating and disorienting. Uh, Darkness is cold and lonely. Now, of course, we think of darkness as well. That's when I sleep, you know, and it's nice to take a, a nap in, in, a, in a dark place. Uh, yeah, but generally the way the Bible talks about darkness is isolating and disorienting. It's chaos. Let there be light speaks into that chaos and some, calls something creative out of it. And ever since Genesis 3, we have sought out the shadows. We're really comfortable walking uh, our, through our life as if it was a noir film. You're familiar with noir films, right? Uh, Raymond Chandler and all these L.A. kind of films uh, from an era in filmmaking when that was the, the, the coolest way to show that the danger was afoot in you and around you. And how do you protect yourself from it? You're always in the shadows. You're in a place where you can't be seen or discovered, but you can see and monitor what's happening around you. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's an intense kind of a film style, isn't it? If you like to watch old films at all, that noir film approach is to all filmmakers captivating. <clears throat> it, has a, it has a life of its own, even in modern filmmaking. We've sought out the shadows. God said, why are you hiding? And we said, well, we're ashamed. Well, what have you done? Asked God. And our answer is, it wasn't my fault. We lied and we died. Our sin and hard-heartedness forced us out of Eden. We lived the story we committed to. And God said, I will bring you back. And that's the great story that we see unfolding in the Old Testament, the New Testament, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And being in darkness is a picture of being lost, hiding, avoiding, and evading. And it's so natural to us. Little kids do it. 
Little kids do it. Uh, and as we get older, we get better at doing it. When I was seven, just seems like the other day, <laughs> uh, I broke a big window with a rock on purpose, and I ran away. Uh, I was out r- running around. My, one of my, my best friend from across the street was not available. He couldn't come out and play, so I'm walking around. And those are the days when you, know, you left after breakfast and you came home for dinner, basically. And, um, and Child Protective Services was never informed. And so I'm cruising around, and, and, and several older kids in our neighborhood uh, see me and invite me to tag along with them. And uh, <clears throat> it was these kids just walking down an alley and saw this big, giant window. They told me to do it. said, hey, let's break this window. Hey, you throw a rock and break the window. And I, it looked tempting, but I said no. I just knew it was not right. I said, no. One of the kids, a tattered up 10-year-old, back then you could you get tattoos uh, in gum and things, and so you put these tattoos, and you know, so he's, he's, a, he's a rough-looking 10-year-old. And I'm an impressionable 7-year-old, and he's like, no, you have to do it. And he, and he pulls out this little dinky knife. You need to do this. Now, um, the knife didn't scare me as much as their disapproval did. The knife was sort of like, really? Are you serious? But their disapproval was what uh, convinced me. And so I threw the rock. And uh, when I was confronted later that day, I, I had to choose whether to lie or blame or confess. Uh, when, the, when the vigilante party assembled in the neighborhood and started searching door to door, who were the likeliest suspects out there? And when they finally came to my house at the very end, uh, I considered lying or blaming, especially since the other kids, I found out, had lied to their parents. And, and these, apparently these, these cherubic children were innocent and remained to talk to me, the heavyweight in the neighborhood the little skinny seven-year-old who probably, I'm sure, did it. Go check them out, Mom and Dad. And so I didn't crack under pressure, i got to say that, because I knew I could lie or blame and get away with it. If everybody else had lied and blamed and gotten away with it, I'm like the last stop. Uh, I could just go full cherubic myself and, and um, lie, or if necessary, blame. But I had this sense that the adults knew and would always know what they couldn't prove. That they know somehow somebody or some combination of us did this. And I, at that moment, realized in my heart of hearts, I didn't want to be that kid who lied. Even if I could get away with it, I didn't want to be that kid who lied, knowing that from then on, I didn't really thought all this through, but it just dawned on me intuitively that from then on, those parents, my parents, and all those other adults, and the person whose window was broken, whenever they see me, they go, I I know what you did, I just can't prove it. You you think you got away with it, but you know what you did. And the funny thing is that they they weren't pressuring or threatening me. Everybody was pretty nice. They were serious, and and they were adults. And so it was quite, uh, you know... uh, scary being in that situation where I was on trial. Very informally, 
Um, but I was, I was on trial. Um, but they weren't pressuring, pressuring or threatening me. What they were doing, I realized later, is they were giving me a chance to come clean. It was like this mission of mercy. Maybe this kid will be the kid who will hold out for what's right and not capitulate. And my hunch is that they would have found a way to sniff out our crime anyway and punish us accordingly. But I didn't think of it that much. I just had this intuitive sense that I was somehow being given a chance to do the right thing. And so it turns out the adults had figured out what had happened anyway, and they were pulling for me to get it right, though they didn't say it. They looked stern, and they looked serious, and uh, I had this moment of truth and awareness and insight. And so after I confessed, I went to prison. Well, I thought I was going to go to prison. I didn't actually go to prison. I thought I might. I thought there'd be some reform school or something that would happen to kids like me who did things like that. But actually, um, my parents had me apologize to the homeowner, and then they agreed to pay for the window. It was all very solemn, and, and I, I knew I'd let my parents down, and, and I couldn't ha- have articulated it at the, articulated it at the time. But I, I had this sense that sin has no good reasons and no excuses. Doing the wrong thing, there's no reasons ultimately, even if you have them, that, that, that justify it. And certainly there are no excuses. I was walking down the alley and I saw this window that needed breaking. What am I going to do? I'm a good citizen. I was just doing my duty. It doesn't work that way. And afterwards, my parents asked me why I did it, and I, I told them why I did it, and I, I explained the circumstances to them, not so much you know, as an excuse and a reason, just that, well, this is what happened. Like, hmm, we're really, really disappointed in you. And then they rewarded me. That's the strange thing. They rewarded me. Uh, they told me they were proud of me for telling the truth. I, I didn't see that coming. I was shocked by receiving, receiving a gift. They, like a day or so later, they, they gave me this model, like a model airplane or something. They said, hey, work on this. I think they realized it was cheaper than paying for other windows in the neighborhood. I don't know. So I learned that crime didn't pay, but honesty did. That was my big takeaway as a seven-year-old. Wow, it's better to tell the truth. And I don't ever know what ever happened to those other kids, but I know what happened to me. It was a really big moment for me. And I know for my parents. And I guess the longer version takeaway for me is that living in darkness is a choice we rationalize because we're ashamed and we can't face the truth. And we don't see any solution, any hope on the horizon. And the pragmatic go-along-to-get-along solution is just to hide, to stay in the dark, to lie or blame, project, deny, and uh, do your best to get by. But that darkness just gets darker and darker and darker, and it engulfs us to the point that we don't even notice it anymore. Uh, It's about being reluctant, embarrassed, guilty, humiliated, or even worse, it becomes rebellion and defiance. Not only do I not think this is wrong, I think it's right. We exchange the truth for a lie, 
And we, we live a lie. Low-level lives. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever enough. Uh, it'll never get better. This marriage will never work. This kid will never change. This job has no future. Uh, nobody cares. Um, there's not much for me to live for anyway. So I'll either just kind of put my head down and grind out the years or I'll, or I'll end it early. But walking in the light is being in God's presence in humility and vulnerability. And you know, humility and vulnerability, at the time you have to make that decision to go in that direction, feels a lot like shame and I'm going to be prey. I'm going to be somebody's prey if I become vulnerable. Uh, I'm going to regret it if I humble myself enough to admit I am who I am, and I did what I did, and I have the capacity uh, to do what I've done. And walking in the light is learning to trust in God's love and, and of course, being in relationship with Him. And that's such a big step. If, if Maybe if you didn't grow up in a Christian family, you just can't imagine something like that even exists, that normal people, normal people, reasonable people, rational people, people who are serious people wouldn't do that. It sounds like a cop-out. It sounds like for weak people, this idea of being humble and vulnerable in that way. Uh, but if you grew up in a Christian family, or if you were exposed to people who walked with Jesus, uh, you learned at an early age, perhaps, that this is the only way that makes sense. And, 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 or maybe by high school you said, this is what I, I yearn for. I didn't even know what to call it or how to ask for it. Or maybe by college uh, you realized, wow, what am I doing? This is so true. Or maybe it was after a really difficult adult life experience. But at some point you came to understand that life only makes sense when you trust in God's love and you're in a relationship with Him. And so why would we then come to an Ash Wednesday service and then enter into Lent after just, maybe just do it once? Well, it's because at some point we do easily take one another for granted in relationships. We take God for granted we assume because we believe some things and know a few things that we've arrived and we've become something that we're not really there yet. Uh, I, I got a, a, <laughs> an interesting uh, email this week from a couple that I did their wedding 30 years ago. And they were reminding me um, uh, of the circumstances and they were in a singles group up in Newport Beach called Becomers. And I'm looking and laughing now about the name Becomers, you know. Um, how do you ever know yeah, when you get there? And then I thought, well, these people have become something. They have five kids. They've become something. They've become a family. And, and, and they wanted uh, me to do, they want me to do a wedding in the fall for one of their five kids, you know. Um, in a relationship with him, we're becoming something. And sometimes we assume we're already there. Or, conversely, we assume that I'll never get there. And so moments like this are so essential for us. A daily quiet time, punctuated by experiences like this, or retreats, or other moments that give us some space to say, you know, where am I really? Uh, because I find in my own life, I, there's a gap between what I know and what I, how I apply it. And the problem is, the older I get, the more I know, and yet the gap doesn't close appreciably. I kind of feel like the national debt. You know, it was 40%, you know, 
30 years ago. Now it's 118%. Oops, it's gotten worse, you know, not better. Maybe you're feeling like that way uh, right now. But, but learning and in a fresh way, recommitting and, and trusting in Jesus' love and being in relationship with him in maybe a new, fresh way, uh, there's nothing better than that. It's its own reward. That's its own reward. Well, if I walk with Jesus, then what happens? That's the reward. You get to walk with Jesus. Yeah, but what's the, what's the upside? That's the upside. What's the payoff? That's the payoff. Well, what's the point? That's the point. That's the good news of God's love and mercy. Lent reminds us that God has not written us off, but is, is writing us into his beautiful story. The God who, who could get really impatient and tired of, are you people still doing what you're doing? Haven't we reviewed this a thousand and one times? I'm writing you out of the story. Every actor in a new pilot is afraid, when are they going to write me out of the story? And they're so thrilled when finally they say, hey, something's been going on with your character and the plot. We're keeping you and we're writing you into the next episodes. You're going to continue in this story. This is what God is doing. He's writing us into his beautiful story, making us an essential, integral part of that story. That's the message of the season. And we take the time to reflect on the harder things so that when we get to Easter... We're in a better place to appreciate that amazing thing. Because we've reviewed again, not to rub our noses in, in what has already been forgiven. Not to beat ourselves up for being imperfect human beings, but to remember that imperfect human beings are invited into the presence of the perfect Lord who makes this possible. And so as we open our hearts to him, he guides us and teaches us to live our real and best story now. But I learned these lessons before. That was before, before. Fantastic. You learned these lessons and you lived them before. You've been, been living these. And now in this new season, in this new time, and in this new age and stage, in these new circumstances, you get to now, right now in real time, live your true, real, best story in Christ. You are not living a postponed life. It's the life right now he's created you for. He has saved you for, is redeeming you for. I hope that resonates with you. It certainly resonates with me. I, and the wonder of it just kind of boggles my mind. And so I'm going to invite you, uh, whenever you're ready, to come and receive Holy Communion. Uh, we have these handy little packs. These are super efficient. We also have some uh, matzah and some uh, juice. And the idea, of course, you know that Jesus took bread and having blessed it, he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Keep doing this because it'll be slightly different every time you do it. You'll be in a different place, a different space. You'll be in a different mindset, a different um, set of circumstances crowding you or burdening you or opening up to you. So keep doing this in my name. And likewise, he, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me until I return. So we keep doing this. We keep remembering who he is and who we are in him. So uh, I'm going to pray and then when you're ready, 
um, come to the table. And literally, just come to the table and stand there and open up the packet or take the bread and dip it in that cup. Dip it once. So one bite, move. And then uh, there'll be music playing, and then we're going to sing a song, and then uh, Mike will walk us through the imposition of ashes uh, as we uh, conclude and, and go out the door. Remember, if, if you want this resource that Janet put together, you can pick up one, or you can do hit, hit the QR code and get it on your devices. Uh, if you'd like, you can um, contribute to that benevolence fund as well. And if you didn't come prepared to do that, you can send that in later and say, hey, this was for the benevolence fund uh, that Steve told us about it. Yeah, say. So Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that in this season we can get back in touch with what it means to be hungry and thirsty for you. We can savor anew the mystery of the wonder, the audacious, outrageous truth about what you have done. Not only to create us and, and to create this amazing world, but to save us from the wretchedness of the story that we had written for ourselves. Punctuated by hope and laughter and good things, but still a story that doesn't really make a lot of sense until you rewrite it right-size it, realign it with your story. So Lord, as we come to your table, uh, reinforce and confirm what you've been showing us is true, that you are with us and for us, and apart from you, we can do nothing. And without you, we are ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In you, we are new creations in Christ, beloved sons and daughters by faith. So we commit uh, these elements to you, even as we commit ourselves to you, and Jesus is high, and holy name. Amen. Come receive Holy Communion whenever you're ready.
We begin the season of Lent by using the centuries-old symbol of ashes. By these, we are reminded of our own frailty, mortality, and our call to humility and penitence. By the cross traced on our foreheads or hands, we remember we belong to God. Receive the ashes as you leave the sanctuary. Created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes be to us a sign of our mortality and need for you. For we remember it is only by your love and your gracious gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that we are restored to you. Amen. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted. Honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you forever. Amen.